Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast. We look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking the Super Bowl, Club World Cup, Knees, El Tree, Champions League, She Believes, Pulisic, Marsh, Five Aside, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, February 13th in the year 2023? Doing well. So Rihanna is pregnant. Have we settled that? We have established that only because we got confirmation because uh, you like me. By the way, first off, we should say if you are watching the show, you will already see that we are in a scaled down version of the show. So don't be alarmed. We had a, uh, a jolt to the system, as it were. Uh, this morning, and we're trying to get it all fixed. But all the bells and whistles from a um, an appearance standpoint, and all the different things that we have done, won't be won't be available on this show. So you're going to have to deal with us if you're watching, just with a very you know kind of uh, low key type of uh, situation here. But if you're listening, it's all the same. It's all the same. Uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so Super Bowl was yesterday. You watched it. I watched it. Uh, so you watch what's happening on the field from a sports perspective. What's happening on the field. Uh, from an entertainment perspective, you mentioned Rihanna and what's happening, I guess, off the field, also from an entertainment perspective in terms of the advertisements. Uh, when it comes to Rihanna, yeah, I think you and me and everybody, <laughs> when she showed up at halftime, you know how in in uh, in normal culture, you're you're taught not to say anything, uh, lest it not be uh, a situation where somebody is pregnant. But immediately you saw her on the screen and she was doing nothing to hide it. And one said, wait a second. She just had a baby and now she's pregnant here. And so, yeah, that's exactly what I said to my wife. And my wife said, yeah, she's pregnant. All in all, I, I thought it was good. I'm not a huge Rihanna fan, although I know a lot of her songs, which I guess says a lot about how many hits she has had and the, the incredible star that she is. Oh, boss, by the way, when it comes to the lip syncing, okay, I've just gotten over it in that I know everybody's going to lip sync. It's just the way that it's done, especially when you're dealing with these high production uh, types of pop uh, artists and songs out there. It's just the way that it works. But don't but don't tell me you're a great singer if you can't actually do it live. All right. So so you might be a great performer, a great entertainer, but it doesn't necessarily make you a great singer if you can't do it live. And if you need and, and look, plenty of bands, plenty of genres used tapes and backing tracks and they fly in all sorts of stuff. I, I, I get that. And it's just kind of part and parcel. It doesn't diminish it in terms of the entertainment value from me. Although, you know, and you, you know, we, we mentioned her being pregnant. I, I it, 
there were no guests or anything, and I felt like she kind of phoned it in a little bit. But she's a big enough star where I guess she can uh, she can kind of do that. Um, but after the whole effect of her being on that stage wore off, then what were we left with? N not a whole lot as far as the actual production and theatrics of it, I thought. I attended a Super Bowl party, Ooh. and there was a guy there, a friend of mine, named Scott Norwood, mm -hmm. which is also the name of the Buffalo Bills kicker who infamously missed a game-winning kick in Super Bowl twenty-five against the New York Giants. And this guy has great stories about what it's been like to go through life with that name. His nickname was Wide Right. Uh, <laughs> there have been several instances in which people thought he was the Scott Norwood. And watching him watch a Super Bowl was a fascinating exercise, particularly when the Kansas City Chiefs kicker missed right off the bat kick early in the game. And you could just see the pain in his face, the trauma that missed field goals in Super Bowls cause him. All right. So we've talked about the halftime performance. Uh, now, the actual on-field performance, uh, I don't know what a hold is uh, anymore. I mean, it's, I guess you can't be a little pregnant. I always, always say that. And so in that sense, the guy did hold him. But in that moment, if the call had not been made, which ultimately finished the game, and decided the game by the referee. If that call's not made, nobody's going back. Nobody's caring about that if it's not if it's not made. So I guess that was a little bit anticlimactic in terms of the way that the game had progressed. You, you know, you denied us a tie game to possibly go into overtime uh, going forward. So that was that was a uh, a little bit uh, of disappointing. We also don't know what a, a catch is evidently either when it comes to the actual on the game. But it was a pretty pretty exciting final. I thought. Very exciting. The Kansas City Chiefs take it. Patrick Mahomes, his second Super Bowl, which puts him in rarefied air this early in his career. So he is on his way to legendary status. Shout out to uh, all of the men and women uh, in front of the camera and behind the camera, our Fox friends and colleagues out there. That I think they did a great job with the Super Bowl. Uh, and in particular, Kevin uh, Burkhart and uh, Greg, uh, Greg Olson. Look, I, I, I watched it because I watched the, the, the Super Bowl in the way that a lot of American casual soccer fans watch the World Cup final. And so I want to be brought in. I don't want to be talked down to, but I also don't want someone in the weeds. And I think they hit that very delicate balance of making it accessible and bringing everybody into the tent. And that's, and you know, that's not easy. And look, you got, you got Tom Brady hanging in the, in the, uh, in the wings there going forward. How, who knows how, how that's going to happen, but I thought they did uh, a really good job. Uh, advertisements, anyone, uh, uh, commercials stand out to you? Uh, the Breaking Bad one caught my attention. Even Tuco making an appearance. So, yeah, that was good. So the, the Remy Martin one, did you see that one? I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> so that was a, a ridiculous one. I didn't understand that. I've never once has Remy Martin ever motivated me from a sporting perspective or business perspective or lifestyle perspective to do anything more or less in soccer uh, it, or anything else. Uh, so that was interesting. I thought the Dunkin' Donuts one with Ben Affleck was good, but it could have been great. And I actually think that, uh, what's his wife's name? Uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez, right? It, it kind of took me out of it because first off, he was like so disheveled in the, in the, in, in his capacity working the window at the Dunkin' Donuts that it actually, and they probably just rolled out of bed. It actually worked because that's the type of person that you would see in that moment. And then she comes along and she's all made up 
And it just it just didn't work. It, it didn't work for me. She actually took me out of the commercial when she arrived. I get what they were trying to do, and there was something there. They just they just didn't nail it. So I don't know. But there wasn't really any that stood out. The uh, the um, the Tubi one I thought that was interesting, and it, and it worked on my family. I don't know where you are, but we we, we looked around and said, "Who's sitting on the remote control?" And we were screaming and yelling. So that was actually kind of clever and uh, interesting in the way they did that. But none really stood out in terms of being seminal where we're going to look back and say we remember that moment right i don't know did any, any other ones stand out to you all right really. you ready to light this candle my friend let's do it all right let's get this thing going because we've got a lot to uh to get to where do you want to start let's start with some news from our friend south of the border uh mexico has a new men's national team head coach it will be diego coca uh, this search was quite messy. At one point, it was going to be Marcelo Bielsa. Then it was going to be either Guillermo Almada or Miguel Herrera. But they end up with Diego Coca, who is an Argentine, who recently guided Atlas to a pair of League MX titles. The issue here is that he only took over Tigres last month. He's coached them for five games. And now he departs to take over the Mexican national team. Tigres are furious that the federation offered him the job and even more furious that he accepted it. What do you think about the ethics here? Is there something wrong with a coach taking over a club and then after five games deciding I'm going to go leave to coach a national team? Ethics? Playoffs? Mossy, come on. No, I don't, I, I, don't, I, I don't care. This is obviously a wonderful job for him and a wonderful opportunity for him. And unless he's somehow breaking the law uh, or from a contractual standpoint, then I don't see how this changes. And also, I think we talked about this on the last episode, the way that the Mexican Federation and uh, Liga MX and the ownerships and everybody's sleeping with everyone and it's all intertwined, the way that they have kind of uh, created this situation, you're always got to wonder in the back of your mind, is this actually who they believe is going to do the best job or is this actually who they believe is going to do the job that they want this person in that position to do and to have the control behind the scenes of that person going forward. Because the last thing in the world, it seems to me that the Mexican Federation wants in terms of a figurehead and an individual up there is somebody that is going to go their own way and is not going to listen and be influenced by the very, very powerful behind the scenes types of leadership, uh, leadership that they have. Ultimately, Diego's got, got the job. And it's his job to, again, get him to that fifth game and do what hasn't been done in the past and obviously do better. And as in the same way that we talk about the U.S. men's national team with the opportunity of 2026 and being able to host the World Cup. So it's there, there's that added bonus. And I think Diego probably looked at this situation and said, this is a good gig to have. Does Mexico appointing a coach put even more pressure on the U.S. to get going here and sort out their situation? I don't think they care. I don't think the United States Soccer Federation is taking any cues at all from Mexico on or off the field. And even though I can be critical of where we are right now, I don't think they I don't think they should. I think we can look elsewhere in terms of parallels or propping up others in order to, you know, to to go down a pathway or something like that. So, yeah, I. I yeah, I don't think that uh, that's happening. But good luck. Good luck to Mexico. I want a good Mexico team. It, it is it is good for the region. It is good for Mexico. We, we talk all about the connections that we have going forward. And certainly in the next three and a half years, uh, they are only going to get bigger and hopefully better. And hopefully he can leave, uh, leave, lead El Tree to the promised land. Hopefully it's not at the expense of the U.S. 
Uh, we're taping this on a Monday morning. Later today, I will be covering the CONCACAF Under-17 Championship, which is taking place in Guatemala, the U.S. facing Trinidad and Tobago. This tournament got underway this past weekend. The U.S. 5-0 winners over Barbados. Cruz Medina, who's considered the best player on the U.S. team, bagged a hat trick. TNT lost to Canada, 3-2. By the time you hear this podcast, that match will have already been played. I presume the U.S. will win it and make it two wins out of two. Four teams will qualify from this tournament for the U-17 World Cup. Remember, one of the casualties of the COVID pandemic was youth tournaments. In 2021, both the U-20 and U-17 World Cups were scrapped, but they're back this year. The U-20 World Cup takes place in Indonesia from late May to mid-June. The U-17 World Cup is in Peru in November and December. The U.S. has already qualified for the U-20 World Cup by virtue of winning the CONCACAF Under-20 Championship in Honduras last year. We also we covered that tournament. And by the way, the U-20 and U-17 World Cups, both on Fox Sports, that U.S. U-20 team was, was pretty saucy. You had Paxson Aronson, Kate Cowell, Diego Luna, Quinn Sullivan, Jack McGlynn, uh, Jalen Neal. Um, so youth soccer is going to be sort of uh, kind of on the radar here this upcoming year. A uh, chance for the U.S. to kind of showcase all this young talent. Yeah, and I I don't blame people because I I, I readily admit that I don't pay a lot of attention to youth teams and youth because it doesn't really interest me that much. Not what I'm what I'm saying is I want to see a much more finished product. And I'm not saying that you can't see potential and that can't excite some people out there and you can't extrapolate it out. And this guy at 16 years old is doing this and think of what he'll he'll be able to do or, or she'll be able to do in the next couple of years. I I get all that, but I don't I don't it it it's not as sexy or as interesting to me as a much more finished product out out there. It doesn't mean that that I won't watch. And in this particular moment in U.S. soccer right now, where we are so bullish and we have so much talent at the highest level, but also all of this talent that's going to be coming up and has used that pathway that we recognize now in a much wider pathway, there's going to be more competition. And so I think not only do you have the potential of future stars, but those future stars can come good or at least be pushing at a much earlier rate and and moment than in the past and that's a good thing and some of these players are going to very very quickly step up the system step up in the system be involved in the national team so if you're into that cool if you're not i totally understand uh, why you're not but that's why we have uh myself and mossy uh, in particular to uh keep you informed of what's going on remember what got everybody excited when the u.s won the CONCACAF under 20 championship last year is that that tournament also served as olympic qualifying right. so it meant the u.s qualified to the 2024 olympics uh it'll be the first time since 2008 the u.s takes part in the olympics now the fact that the u.s is playing in the 2024 copa america will undermine their ability to send a strong team to the olympics because no european club is going to want a player playing in both those tournaments so keep that in mind but uh, nevertheless, uh, a lot of lot of good stuff to look forward to in the next. Uh, yeah, but year. if if we have all of this talent, then it's actually more opportunity for more players. And if they grab a hold of it through whatever just the circumstances, if some player wasn't allowed or was only allowed to play one of those tournaments in the summer, somebody else gets an opportunity. They grab a hold of it. We have seen in the past stars in the Olympic tournament that have parlayed that into very very good things. So. I, I look at it as, yeah, I would love just from a pure 2026 perspective and a 
uh, a team building perspective, I would want that team to be involved in both of those because a lot of these players are young enough where they actually can be involved in both of them. But I think what it's going to do is kind of spread it out and give more opportunities to more players that maybe could actually come good going forward. So maybe silver lining. Mexico, incidentally, crashed out in the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Under-20 Championship last year. So they didn't qualify for either the U-20 World Cup or the Olympics. So Mexican football really in disarray. Yeah, but, and they, you, but they got a head coach. And you, and you know I'm going to ram Brazil into this conversation. Of course. The South American U-20 Championship drew to a close this past weekend. Uh, Brazil, Uruguay, Colombia, and Ecuador, the four teams that advanced to the U-20 World Cup. Uh, Brazil captured their record 12th South American under-20 title. It came down to the final game against Uruguay. Uruguay only needed a draw. Brazil needed a win. So it was the inverse of the 1950 World Cup. Brazil got the 2-0 victory. Andre Santos uh, among the scores. He is the 18-year-old midfielder who Chelsea just signed, who I highlighted on a previous podcast and said he was a bargain. They got him for 12.5 million euros. He was Voted the best player of this tournament, captain Brazil to the title, scoring in the title-clinching victory. Finished as the joint top scorer of the tournament with six goals, even though he's a holding midfielder. So I continue to say I think Chelsea have got themselves a wonderful talent. I'm excited to see the development. Still some questions about him getting a work permit, being able to play for Chelsea right away, or he might have to be loaned out. But we'll see how that, that all shakes out. Is that enough Brazil for you? you that good? is enough Brazil. <laughs> What's next? Uh, let's shift, shift gears to the women. Yep. Uh, they have a World Cup later this year in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, they began 2023 with a pair of friendly victories over New Zealand. And you said then that those weren't real tests for the U.S. women. You wanted to see them play against stiffer competition. You'll get that in the coming days because the 2023 She Believes Cup is upon us. Uh, the U.S. will face Canada, Japan, and Brazil in that order. Yep. Canada Thursday, Thursday uh, Sunday, and Wednesday. Canada in Orlando, and then Sunday, Japan in Nashville. That's a rematch of the 2011 and 2015 World Cup Finals. And then the following Wednesday, Brazil in Frisco, Texas. We know the threat at this upcoming Women's World Cup is likely going to come from Europe, France, England, Germany, Sweden, etc. Nevertheless, Canada, Japan, and Brazil is a step up in class from New Zealand. So interesting to see how the U.S. women look in these games. And while the U.S., if they're playing them, I'm still going with the U.S., and I think that's that's a fair assessment, and that's safe money. At least they are competitive games. And I also think that because of the amount of times that they've played, because of the history that they have, it, it has bred competition and, and at times bred good kind of animosity in that all three of these teams believe that on a day, and they have to have a day when things go well, they can find a way to compete and possibly beat the, the U.S. So this is this is a wonderful tournament for Vladko Andomnowski to really ultimately assess here what he is going to uh, going to go with. When it comes to the roster, we mentioned it before, a lot of the usual suspects, including a listener uh, in goal, and I don't think that's going to change through the summer. Becky Sovereign is the uh, you know the the uh, the most experienced player. The return of uh, Crystal Dunn, uh, which is wonderful. Also the return of uh, of Megan Rapino. Now. When it comes to Becky Salbrun and that type of back, I mean, there's a lot of other players and we've talked about uh, Naomi uh, Gurma and, and these types of players that are coming on strong. So I don't know ultimately what Vodka is going to do. And so this is going to be a real good test for uh, for this uh, for this team. Alex Morgan is uh, is back. Trinity Rodman. Um, there are still players that uh, that that we p could possibly see this summer that aren't going to be here, but 
this is as as good as it's going to get at this moment. Rose Lavelle continues on. Uh, Lindsey Horan and these types of players that we know and that we love that are still, while they're some of them legends, they're still fighting for that starting spot. And that's a good type of competition that we have. Uh, wait, uh, Canada, though, because uh, that's the first game. Uh, it should be said that uh, this week, all sorts of news when it comes to the Canadian women's national team. Uh, they threatened to strike because of uh, what they uh, what they feel is you know continued inequality and inequity when it comes to especially the compensation and the treatment, um, the accusation that camps um, and opportunities have been canceled, and especially so close to a World Cup. Uh, there's a lot of consternation, and I think from the outside, it looks completely legitimate and fair uh, to bring this up. So they did threaten to strike. The Federation came back and said if they did not play in the Sheep Relieves Cup, uh, they would be threatened with legal action for you know uh, breaching their contract and not doing that. Then the, the Canadian Federation, uh, Canadian women's team came back with a statement and said, well, okay, we're going to play, but... It is under protest we are playing, but we don't want that threat of you know, litigation and violation of contracts that we may have signed to come back, especially when they, they, they claim they haven't been paid monies that they are due from, I guess, 2022. So we'll see how that drama plays out off the field, not just during the She Believes Cup, but who knows, leading up into the summer. And you know, when it comes to not just soccer, but in particular women's soccer, we have seen this, especially with the, the, the women's national team, and your ability to juggle these two things and still do your job on the field, that's not always easy. And so we'll see what that drama leads to when it comes to uh, the Canadian women's national team in the She Believes Cup, and then if it continues on into the uh, summer. And staying with this World Cup theme that's kind of running through this whole opening segment, the Club World Cup drew to a close this weekend. In the final, Real Madrid defeated Saudi Arabian side Al-Hilal 5-3, a high-scoring affair. Um, the European club has won this competition 10 straight times in 15 of the last 16 editions, which is interesting because I still maintain, I know I sound like a broken record on this, that the current format is the one that allows for the greatest possibility of a non-European club winning it. All it takes is one European team to have one bad day against a team from another region, there have been some near misses recently. Palmeiras took Chelsea to extra time last year. Uh, in 2019, Flamengo took Liverpool to extra time. And if Johnny Infantino gets his way and this expanded Club World Cup is formatted the way that I've been reading, I think there will be zero chance for a non-European club to win it or much less even reach the final. So I think the whole point in Johnny's mind is he wants to have two European clubs contesting the final. Uh, so we'll that's see. That, well, that's not take anything away from Al-Hilal and the way that they got there, the way that they played, even in this final game. And and while it's a credit to Al-Hilal that they were in it and scored goals, there was also some wonderful play from Real Madrid. I mean, that uh, Vinicius Jr. outside of the right, right foot cross over to Benzema was a, a thing of beauty, and he just continues to get better and better and better. But also on the other side, because now we're also looking at this Real Madrid relative uh, you know, to going forward and the continued... Uh, you know, back to not real soccer, but back to, you know, the, the task at hand. It, some of the goals that they gave up were ridiculous, Mossy, in terms of the space and the ease in which Al-Khilal was able to get behind the back, uh, the back line. So that can be problematic. 
Yeah, this was an odd game because at various points, Real Madrid, it, it seemed to be so easy for them that they switched off. And to Al Hilal's credit, every time Real Madrid switched off, they punished them. Right. Uh, so this game was at various points flirting with becoming just an absolute laugher. And instead, Al Hilal would always get that goal to make it competitive again. And so, yeah, good. Ex- I mean, full breakaways and stuff like that. Yeah. But anyway, it was, a, it, it was a good thing and obviously didn't work out from a MLS perspective and a Seattle perspective uh, not going forward. But to your point, as we get forward, maybe not next year, but uh, as we get going forward, this Club World Cup is going to look very, very different. On Vinicius Jr., as you mentioned, he's oh, wait, okay, there you go. Uh, two goals and one assist in the final, also scored and earned the penalty in the semis, so not surprisingly, he won the golden ball, although they could have given it to Valverde, who was terrific as well in both games. He got the silver ball. Uh, Vinicius, the youngest player to win the golden ball at the Club World Cup since Messi in 2009. He's also the first Brazilian to score in the UEFA Champions League final and Club World Cup final, and I have to say given all the drama and toxicity that surrounds him in Spain now, mm-hmm. it was really refreshing to see him get away from that for a few days. Uh, he seemed much more relaxed here. He didn't have the crap kicked out of him. He wasn't racially abused. There weren't effigies of him hanging off bridges. Uh, so it was it was nice to see. He felt like he enjoyed his football again. Do you, I mean, look, we're still talking about him relative to the potential in the future, but at, at what point is this as good as it gets which is still gr- good, and I, you know, I, we've just extolled his virt- virtues here uh, in terms of the, the goals he's scoring, the passes he's giving, but this is also a Brazilian attacker, and so there's always going to be comparisons, and so it's pretty lofty heights that you have to get to to compete with some of the legends that we talk about when it comes to attacking Brazilians. Ultimately, where do you think he is going to end up here? Does he still have another gear or level to go to? I think although his finishing has improved immensely in the last year, there's still a little bit of fine tuning that can occur there. You know, you you never you hardly ever see Vinicius score a goal with a shot from outside the box, mm-hmm. let's say. Uh, but now beyond that, I think we're, we're he's reaching the point where it's pretty close to the finished article here. But he's so he's not going to make the impact that you know a Neymar type of uh, player makes or has made, right? I don't I don't think he's quite the all-around talent than Neymar's, but if he keeps his head screwed on straight, he might end up having a better career. We'll see. I would say moving forward for the Brazilian national team, over this next cycle, it's going to increasingly feel more like his team, and Neymar is going to have to accept playing the role of sidekick to Vinicius rather than what has been. That that will not go well. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do a little recap from over in uh, Europe because there was all sorts of action. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's take a little uh, recap into some of the European games and scores and things that happened. Mossy, should we start over there in the old EPL? Yes, uh, Leeds played their second match since sacking Jesse Marsh. They suffered a 2-0 home defeat to Manchester United. Leeds played pretty well. They were the better team for large portions of this game. They won the XG. Where have we heard that before? They won the XG battle. Oh, yeah, there we go. But late goals from Rashford and Garnacho. 
So Manchester United take the three points. McKinney and Adams both started. Aronson came on as a sub. Leeds United suffering the 2-0 defeat. Both McKinney and Adams kind of patrolling that midfield and really kind of using their physical abilities uh, to, to make their mark. And, you know, the oohs and the ahs and the plaudits that come out when literally if you just work hard and you make hard tackles <laughs> so uh which which they did and which is which is good um and i think weston mckinney is very quickly recognized that the english game and maybe the maybe more importantly the english game playing for leeds as opposed to playing for juventus is going to be a whole lot more down and dirty and dare i say ugly and he is certainly willing to do that type of dirty work and he can do it, but it does take a kind of change in in mentality to recognize that you're going to have to get down and dirty. The time that you have on the ball is limited, and so the speed of play and therefore the speed of thought needs to increase. And that doesn't, again, that's not doesn't mean it's a better or worse league. It's just this is the style of play that leagues is going to face playing in England, playing in in the EPL. Both uh, both of them were good. But once again, we get to the end of a Leeds game and they've lost, but they've played well and the numbers should be, you know, dictate that it should have been should have been better, but they can't uh, they can't finish and they can't find a way to, in this case, at least come out of there with a point. Some coaching news for Leeds. I've heard Arne Slot. He is the Dutch manager who has Feyenoord currently atop the Eredivisie and who guided them to the Conference League final last season when they lost to Jose Mourinho's Roma. I've heard Alfred Schroeder, the coach who just was sacked by Ajax. I've also heard Marcelo Gallardo, Argentine, most recently with River Plate. Uh, but they have not hired a coach yet. Meanwhile, the guy they just sacked might make a swift return to the Premier League. This news has shocked me, I must confess. Southampton, who are in last place, lost to Wolves this past weekend, fired their manager, Nathan Jones. And the English media is reporting that Jesse Marsh is the favorite to replace him. Uh, yeah, I mean, right? So first off, just from a pure uh, theatrical perspective, can you imagine if this actually comes to fruition, and Southampton were to hire Jesse Marsh, keep in mind Southampton in last place right now, uh, and he were to take them on a run, and at the end, Pip leads for staying up, and then Leeds went down. Can you imagine the chef's kiss moment for Jesse Marsh? Now, I, I, where this came from, I don't know. In reading this articles, there seems to have been a... Uh, an appreciation, a long-distance appreciation, maybe a romance when it comes to how Seth Hampton has, has looked at Jesse Marsh. But what's confusing to me is, what are they looking at him for? Because it's not as if he has this history of coming in and saving teams, notwithstanding what he did last year with, with Leeds. But this isn't a you know break glass in case of emergency type of coach. So is this a much more long-term type approach, even with the understanding that if that doesn't happen and they go down, this is the guy who they want to, at the helm to to lead them through the next year in the championship and bring them back up because they believe in him so much and it's just fallen in their lap at this at this time. I don't know. This would, again, if this happens, I will be very, very surprised. But good for Jesse Marsh. 
that this is even in the news uh, news right now. And if it ultimately happens, they got themselves a good coach who's going to be incredibly motivated here down the stretch. But it might be a, a you know a bridge too far to figure out a way to keep them from going down. If he gets offered the job, he has to take it. No, does he have to take it? It depends. I mean, we've talked about the U.S. men's national team. If there are talks going on behind the scenes, and I don't know why there there would be because there's still nobody working at the Federation that is supposed to be making these decisions. But if he has the inkling that he is high on the, the candidate list for the U.S. men's national team, then maybe he, he holds off. Or maybe he says, look, this is just a, a temporary type of thing. Give me the controls here. Let me see what I can do down the stretch. Maybe I can fire up some magic like you saw with Leeds last year, and I can I can save you. I can at least make a run here, and then in the summer we'll talk. Maybe. Fair enough. Yeah. Because oh. nothing's going to happen with the U.S. Soccer Federation, evidently, for a while. Yeah. Also, some developments in the title race in the Premier League this weekend. Arsenal stumble again, held to a 1-1 draw at home by Brentford. Both goals in the second half. Trossard came off the bench to give Arsenal the lead, but then minutes later, Ivan Toney equalized. A goal that should not have counted, by the way. There was an offside in the buildup. Christian Norgaard, uh, but the VAR somehow missed it. Uh, I will say Arsenal did not play well. Brentford were a good value for that point. Brentford's a good team. Yes. Okay, so this is not out of the, the realm of possibility of happening. And, and Arsenal are, are a great team. And to your point, they, they didn't play well. But, you know, again, we find ourselves talking about how VAR in the context of the EPL is so problematic and it's ruining the game and it gets wrong. And it's just a constant conversation after each and every weekend. Why can't they get their shit together when it comes to VAR? And I know Howard Webb's over there uh, now, and I love Howard. And you know, maybe he's sorting through all the different problems and trying to put out fires r- right now. But it shouldn't be this hard. And you can, you need only look around the world where it's not that there's not controversy, and it's not there's n- there's not disagreement, but just the steady, constant diet of problems and conflicts and controversies that are that are unnecessary when it comes to the EPL relative to VAR. It just boggles my mind. And Howard Webb had to write a lot of apology notes after this weekend because it was a shambolic weekend. You had uh, Brentford goal being uh, awarded when it should have been disallowed. Brighton had a goal wrongly disallowed against Crystal Palace because they drew the offside line incorrectly. And then Chelsea in their 1-1 draw away to West Ham uh, should have had a penalty late. Connor Gallagher shot. Suchek clearly blocks it with his arm. That was unbelievable that they didn't get that call. Uh, so, yeah, terrible weekend officiating-wise in England. All right. By the way, uh, Rashford, possibly in the best form of uh, of any attacker right now and in the air, <laughs> the best player right now in the world in the air. He just can, he just keeps going on. And, you know, I didn't want to, you know, uh, bury the lead there when it comes to the actual result from Manchester United, which was very good against lead. And uh, shout out to Rashford, who just continues to kind of have come back from a little bit of an abyss there. And really just is irreplaceable at this point. Uh, so, no, I agree. Rashford, unbelievable right now. So Arsenal uh, held to that 1-1 draw against Brentford. Manchester City were able to capitalize. Uh, 3-1 home win over Aston Villa. All three other goals in the first half. Rodri, Gunnigan, and Mares from the penalty spot. Pep Guardiola's latest wrinkle, uh, Bernardo Silva played a lot of this game at left back, which was interesting. Uh, so the gap is now three points. 
And on Wednesday, Arsenal host Manchester City at the Emirates. Arsenal have played one fewer game, but nevertheless, if City were to win that game, uh, they would leapfrog Arsenal at the top of the table. And I do think if City go in there and beat them just psychologically, that, that might be it. They might just blow past them from there. Arsenal need to avoid defeat. Obviously, ideally, you'd love a win, but even a draw keeps them ahead. And Do you think that the Arsenal psyche is much more fragile than they let on? you think that they are looking behind them just kind of waiting for something to happen, right? Uh, this weekend, I took my first peek at how far they are from fifth place, as in they couldn't possibly blow top four. Oh, musty. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> oh my god can you imagine oh boy. I, for the record i don't think that'll happen they'll definitely finish in the top five. i'm here just for piers morgan i mean <laughs> that would be awesome all right what else what else we got here we go over to uh, germany uh, in, or what in germany the top three all victorious union berlin will not go away they were trailing leipzig one nil in the second half they scored twice so they take it two to one uh Big win for the just, Capital Club. It's like rounders hanging around, hanging yep. around. They're just constantly hanging around. It was, a, by the way, did you see the goal in that Union Berlin game? The uh, the volley off of the the, the corner kick there, incredible, incredible, yep. incredible. So well done, well done. They're keeping it interesting. Uh, Bayern Munich three 0 winners over Eric Winalda's former club Bochum. Uh, Thomas Muller, Kingsley Coman, and Serge Gnabry with the goals there. Dortmund two 0 victory away to Bremen. Gio Reyna started this match, was ineffective, subbed off in the second half. His replacement, young Jamie Bino-Gittens, scored a minute later to give Dortmund the lead. And then Julian Brandt added a second. Does this add fuel to the fire that Gio right now is better coming off the bench than starting the so-called limited role? Well, that's that's a little unfair. And it's all... It, that he was this super, super sub, he had obviously gotten used to it and was becoming very, very effective. But every player wants to start and every substitute wants to get into that position where you're starting. However, there is, there is an element of attrition, right, that a starting lineup recognizes. While it doesn't show up on the score sheet sometimes, it is incredibly valuable as the game progresses. And so while it didn't go well for him from on a scoreline perspective... And it's easy to say, well, you know, he came off and then things changed and stuff like that. The foundation for the late win could have been laid in the same way that when he's coming on as a substitute, everything that has happened before that prologue is actually necessary in order for teams sometimes to finish off uh, good quality competition. Because some teams will just hang around and they'll hang around and eventually you just are constantly knocking and eventually you find that you find that moment. So. I'm not saying that the Gio Reyna isn't much more suited for this team as a super sub role. I'm just saying you shouldn't look at this game as a reason why he shouldn't start. Fair enough. In France, PSG suffered a 3-1 defeat away to Monaco. Ben Yedder with a couple of goals for the Principality Club. Uh, Messi and Mbappe both sat out with injuries. More on that in a minute when we talk Champions League. Uh, Neymar started but could not prevent uh, this defeat. Second straight loss for PSG. Remember, they fell to Marseille midweek in the Coupe de France. Speaking of Marseille, yeah. they beat Clermont Foot 2-0. Alexis Sanchez was having a nice season for them, scored both goals. Marseille now in second place, five points back of PSG Monaco in the third. Yeah, penalty, and uh, then he got his own rebound there with the uh, with the head there. But yeah, it's, still, it's still five points. And to your point, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about not just when it comes to PSG, but I think a lot of these teams are keeping powder dry and kind of seeing around the corner here and recognizing. So, yeah, it's not a good result, 
for PSG, but I don't think it's devastating relative to their league uh, aspirations. Uh, one bonus one in the David Mossy pretentious pronunciation bowl. Oh Hans Bitra 4 0. <laughs> Balogun among the goal scorers. He's now all alone atop his scoring charts in Liga. U.S. has got to get that guy. They got to call him first. Somebody better be. I, I will call. I will volunteer my services. I will call him. Mossy, you can help me out with, uh, you know, uh, with some with some French. I'm sure he speaks English. He speaks, speaks. We can do it in multiple languages if we have to, just to give him some love. Just to say, hey, my friend, I know the Federation might not be calling you right now, but we as Americans, we are seeing what you are doing and we love it. And we want to send you the love and want you to recognize that it is not going unnoticed here. And we would love for you to consider representing what I feel is the greatest country in the world. There we go. In Spain, with Real Madrid away playing the Club World Cup, uh, Barcelona had the spotlight to themselves. A uh, big win for them, 1-0 away to Villarreal. Pedri with the only goal. So Barcelona now with an 11-point lead over Real Madrid. They have played one more game, but nevertheless, that is a big just advantage at this him. point in the just season. Just give it to them. Speaking of just giving a team a title, uh, in Italy, Napoli keep rolling 3-0 victory over Cremonese. Uh, Varadskelia, Osimen, and Elmas with the goals. Uh, so they are cruising towards their first Scudetto since 1990. Uh, the other big game in Italy, Atalanta, 2-0 win away to Lazio. They surge into third place. The intrigue now in Italy is top four. So right. that's what I'm keeping an eye on. So that's it as far as domestic activity this weekend. Uh, coming up, we have the return of the UEFA Champions League. The first four round of 16 ties get underway this week. On Tuesday, PSG Bayern, AC Milan, Tottenham. Then Wednesday, Club Bruges Benfica, Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea. PSG Bayern is a rematch of the 2020 final that Bayern won in Lisbon in the bubble. Uh, 1-0 Kingsley Coman with the goal in the second half. PSG achieved some measure of revenge the following season, eliminating Bayern in the quarterfinals. Messi and Mbappe, I mentioned they sat out this weekend. They were considered doubts. Mbappe at one point was pronounced out for right. his first leg. Bayern coach Julian Nagelsmann rolled his eyes at that and said, you watch, he'll play. Well, sure enough, Nagelsmann looks like he's going to be right because both Messi and Mbappe train today. They're in the squad. They're expected to play. I think Messi will start. Mbappe might come off the bench, but nevertheless, he is available. So PSG hosting Bayern. Well, that time. Mbappe is even available. That's, that's amazing. And again, it goes back to what I mentioned before. There are teams that are keeping powder dry, and they recognize that this is a, a big game. But... If there ever, I guess, was a time for Bayern to come up against a PSG that that you know has some injuries and some problems right now, th this is this is it. And you know, very few of the of the starting that the starting eleven that we are going to see against Bayern from PSG started in the game over uh, over the weekend here, and we're seeing we're seeing teams teams do this because this is this is nitty gritty time, and this is the first obviously of the uh, of the home and away. And you really don't want to put yourself in a hole right off the bat. So who do you got? PSG Bayern? Uh, definitely Bayern. Okay. PSG are a mess right now. Okay. Reports that this past weekend, the sporting director Luis Campos went into the dressing room and got into a screaming match with Neymar and Marquinhos. <laughs> Presnel Kimpembe had to go apologize <laughs> to the fans afterwards. So uh, that team. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, Milan Spurs. Is that the other one? Yes, uh, these two teams met in the round of 16 in 2011. First leg at the San Siro, Peter Crouch scored the only goal, 1-0 Spurs victory. I remember Gattuso 
not ignited a brawl in that game. He oh, butted Tottenham assistant surprise. Joe Jordan. And then we went back to White Hart Lane, nil-nil draw. So Tottenham advanced. The two clubs crossed paths. Again, AC Milan, they lost both games to Chelsea in the group stage, although in the home game, they were hard done by a really dodgy red card to Tomori. Uh, but they lost both there. Last season, they lost both group games they played against Liverpool. The season before that, they were knocked out by Manchester United in the Europa League. So even during this revival they've had under Stefano Pioli, they've still struggled whenever they've come up against Premier League opposition. I, I think this continues here. I know they're coming off a win. They snapped a seven-match winless run this past weekend, beating Torino, Giroud with the only goal, while Tottenham are coming off a bad loss to Leicester 4-1. But I still give Tottenham big advantage here. Really? Yeah. Even, But again, Tottenham... They got crushed this weekend. So what they did. are they? Is that who Tottenham is, or is the one that beat uh, Man City? Right. Yeah, I'm putting my faith in a very flaky club in Tottenham, but I just buy the Premier League Serie A thing right now. It's okay. So in so Premier League, the and disparity between the two is going to show. Antonio Conte in familiar surroundings, okay. going back to Milan for this first leg. All right. Wednesday we got games too. Yes, uh, Club Bruges. You might recall they were the surprise package in the group stage, qualified with two games to spare. Uh, but they haven't been in good form lately. Just one win in their last nine in all competitions. Now they face Benfica, who topped their group, uh, finished above PSG in the group stage, thanks to that goal fest against Maccabi Haifa on match day six. They won 6-1, and that gave them the edge over PSG and the tiebreaker on away goals. And so their reward is facing Club Bruges, while PSG has to face Bayern. So first place in that group ended up being very important. Uh, Benfica, we know, sold Enzo Fernandez to Chelsea, but nevertheless, I still think they should move on in this tie. Because you just think that they're better or because of the poor form that Club Bruges is in? They're better. Okay. Uh, and then Dortmund-Chelsea, right? And then Dortmund-Chelsea. Oof. As Sean Sullivan mentioned in the rundown here, it's a shame Pulisic is injured because we could have had a nice American duel here of Pulisic versus Reina, the two super subs for right. their respective sides. <laughs> um, in Dortmund's case, they've added Sebastian Haller since the group stage, which is great to see. Uh, we know Chelsea have made a few additions themselves. You know, it is ironic. All this money they spent, the best player they added in this window is Joel Felix, who scored, uh, I mean, you can make a case for Enzo Fernandez and, and the two of them combined for their goal against West Ham. But I would argue the best player they added is a guy that's not going to be there beyond this season because it's a loan with no option to buy. Atletico Madrid are going to want him back next season. So it is kind of funny. All this money spent on building a new team with an eye towards the future. And yet the best guy they, well, they got is just sort but of- But it's a, not as if he's not for sale. They really, really believe that he's the future. I mean- Right? Perhaps, yeah. We've seen they're not averse to spending money. All right, so ultimately, what do you think happens in this first game here? This one, to me, is a 50-50. Yep. Okay. I'm going to lean Chelsea. Ooh, really? Yeah. yeah. This is this is in Dortmund. Well, I, we're talking about the, who's going to advance. Well, okay, yeah, but okay, okay. Okay, so in, in, in after the two games, you still think Chelsea's going to come through. Correct. I can buy that. I, I, I can buy that, although, yeah... Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. I want to go Dortmund. But that first game, yeah. If Chelsea get out of there with, with a, you know, 1-1-0-0, then they're golden. Um, all right, anything else? Lastly, we know Sean Sullivan is a Champions League snob, so he didn't include this. But there's actually a great tie in the Europa League. Uh, Barcelona face Manchester United. First leg Thursday at Camp Nou, and second leg the following week at Old Trafford. Uh, Very excited for that. Fallen. Oh, that, that is a that is a Europa League tie with a Champions League field. Right, exactly. I mean, just it's labels. We don't need labels, Mossy. It's two of the great teams in history facing off. So uh, we will check that out. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, uh, we got a little Ask Alexi question. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, welcome back. And this is uh, the Ask Alexi segment where you use that hashtag Ask Alexi or you call us on the State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. Um, Normally, as uh, we would, you know, play play uh, some different uh, voicemails that we have and stuff like that. As you can see, we are operating bare bones right here. And so, what we thought is, until we're back up and running, and look, the, the men and women are working their asses off behind the scene to get this uh, get this back up, which is which is wonderful, and it will be back up for uh, later on in the week. But what we thought is, let's just hold off on that. And by the way. If you are sending in messages on the State of the Union podcast hotline, again, 657-549-2297, I, I love it and appreciate you all sending it in. But um, how do I say this uh, gently? Uh, try to be efficient, okay? And uh, an economy when it comes to your words is a greatly appreciated. So the the more clear and concise, and I'm not saying just a tweet level shortness. You can certainly expand it, what it's for, but don't go on for two and three minutes about different things because your chances of that being used on air diminish uh, by the longer that you go on. So that's just a, a helpful hint. Say what You can do whatever you want. You can call multiple times and talk as long as you want, but I'm just saying if you really want to get on air, you know, be succinct in terms of what uh, you're saying. So anyway, because we don't have that working today, I thought I'd take a uh, a question that the official site for the Women's World Cup, which we know is coming this uh, this summer, U.S. is going to be in it, down hosted by our friends down in Australia and New Zealand. We at Fox will be down there blowing it out uh, as the U.S. women try to go for three in a row, something unprecedented and never been done by men's or women's when it comes to the World Cup. I thought I'd take one of their questions. And they asked, what is your dream five-a-side uh, when it comes to a women's team, all right? So you can pick anybody in any era, any women's player that has ever played and make your five aside, okay? I, because I'm American, said, well, I don't need any of the wonderful players, the incredible players that exist all around the world. I can just do it all with uh, U.S. players. So when it comes to uh, Sam Kerr, or when it comes to Marta, or the list goes on and on and on about you know these incredible players out there, I didn't include them on my five aside. And keep in mind, five aside is one goalkeeper and four field players. That's how this is how I described it and how they have described it. So that's what you want. So this is my five aside all time. When it comes to women, if I could, uh, if I could make it, one uh, in goal, Hope Solo. All right, arguably not just the greatest American goalkeeper and the greatest goalkeeper ever to play, but the greatest player ever to play when it comes to uh, the national team game, and certainly when it comes to uh, the U.S. national team. So I got myself a good goalkeeper. Need a good goal. Need a good goalkeeper. Uh, Julie Ertz. Uh, I am going to lament the fact, as is Vlatko Andonovsky and many fans of the U.S. women's national team, that Julie Ertz is not going to play a part this summer. I, I say that, I mean, who knows, but I, I don't think she is going to be there. And that is going to hurt the chances of this U.S. team. That's how important she is. That she has become. When we saw her 
star and become a legend as a center back. Then we saw her star and become a legend as a central midfielder and a destroyer. So I need somebody that is going to hold down the middle of the field and basically act as the defender in a, in a very small-sided game. Christine Lilly, another legend. Uh, I got her working on one side. Carly Lloyd, I got her working, another legend. And then up top, Michelle Akers. So those are my five U.S. women. And I went all U.S. Uh, for my five-a-side team, my dream five-a-side team. Now, people say, well, where's Mia Hamm? I have said time and time again that the greatest American player when it comes to the, uh, the women's game is Mia Hamm. But Mia Hamm needs room to roam, Mossy. She needs space to really do what she does best. And look, there's a million other uh, players, as I mentioned, uh, and certainly a million other Amer American players that you could put in there. And I know a lot of people talk about, you know, Abby Wambach and like I said, uh, Mia Hamm and you know, Megan Rapino, or the list goes to Tobin Heath. A lot of people want Tobin Heath because it's a small sided game. And I can get that. That's an interesting argument right there. But tell us what you think your best five aside would be. And you can do it like I did, where you pick all U.S. players, or you can just pick from all around the, uh, all around the world, because there's certainly players that could, uh, that could make my team and could make my team maybe better. But I'm pretty happy and content with this, uh, this five that I have. So uh, anything, Mossy, before we uh, move on? No. That's it? You got nothing? Well, you know, th there is this eternal debate over who is the U.S. women goat. And a lot of people ride for Michelle Akers. A lot of people ride for Mia Hamm. I've even seen you suggest, like you did today, that it might be Hope Solo. So you you would go with Mia Hamm? That's what you Yes, I, I've her? always gone with Mia Hamm, and, and nothing, Mia Hamm, and nothing has changed. Um, but she doesn't make my five-a-side. She needs room, room to roam. She needs room to roam. No. And that's, how, that's where she does her greatest work. Uh, okay, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for my one for the road. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show. Uh, as we've uh, been telling you all along, uh, we will be back up and running in a full-fledged capacity come uh, next uh, show. We just had some some technical glitches uh, here. They could not be helped, um, but I appreciate if you're watching, you putting up with... Uh you know, just a much more plain type of background. But it's still a show. And so at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. We were watching Mossy, um, the uh, Super Bowl last night. I was watching it with my family. Uh, you went out and watched it with uh, some friends at a Super Bowl Super Bowl party. And uh, it got me to, th to thinking about, you know, these big events that people tune in for. And, you know, I mentioned earlier how I thought our broadcast of it really did a good job of bringing everybody into this this football tent and making it, it easy and accessible uh, and palatable to everybody, regardless of how much you know about football uh, or not. But it also got me thinking about a World Cup final, which obviously is you know only a few months back uh, that we broadcast, and the uh, and the Super Bowl. And there was somebody actually last night on Twitter who asked me which was better, the World Cup final or the Super Bowl. And look, it, it's. It's probably not fair to compare and contrast, in particular, this World Cup final, because it is arguably the greatest World Cup final that we have ever seen. The drama, the back and forth, the crescendo that it was, and then obviously having um, arguably the GOAT realize this moment made it something even more and more special than anybody could uh, could have imagined. Uh, this was a good Super Bowl game. They're not always good Super Bowl, Super Bowl games. As I said, I I enjoyed it, but 
it did come down to a kind of referee decision that, for all intents and purposes, ended the game, as opposed to the drama and the theater that was the world, uh, the World Cup final. And I also mentioned that you know there were people that don't necessarily watch the sport that came into the tent in in the World Cup final. It was people that you know just hey, this is a big event. I'm going to go check it out. And they came in. In the Super Bowl, there were people that don't necessarily watch football on a consistent basis, like yours truly, that come in and say, hey, this is, uh, this is, this is something awesome. But the thread between both of these is this collective and this shared experience. And when it comes from an American perspective, we know how, how much the Super Bowl means and how it has transcended the actual game and people come in and families get together and people have wonderful moments that they uh, that they can celebrate. What we want to have happen from an American perspective is the same thing happens with you know a world a world cup final or you know an MLS final or an, M- an NWSL uh, NWSL final or or USL fine or something like that, when people are getting into the game and being excited about this event that is a final. Now, obviously, we are a long way off when it comes to the domestic leagues that we have ever competing with uh, what the Super Bowl is. But a boy can dream. A boy can dream. And we, do, and we still have this compare and contrast with, uh, uh, with the World Cup. And it is of the world literally written into it when you come have a World Cup final as opposed uh, as opposed to the Super Bowl. Not better or worse, just different types of events, but both in the same way bringing people together. And I like that. I like that I was hanging out with my family and you know we put some money down and we were betting and doing the first quarter and the MVP and all that. We even did the uh, national anthem. We did a, uh, a bet on how long the national anthem was going to be. And it was fun because it's part of our culture and it's part of our, our history. And it's cool to share in those experiences together. So I hope everybody out there had a wonderful Sunday, whether you watched the World Cup or not. But if you did, I hope you had a good time. And again, you were in that shared type of environment that we saw uh, in, the, uh, in the World Cup final. But as far as which was better, come on. World Cup final, arguably the greatest in history. Wasn't even, wasn't even a, a question. Although... If Mahomes had put on that, uh, that robe that uh, Messi put on, now that would have been something to see. All right. Anything else, Moss, before we go? That's it. we got to get out of here. My favorite analyst at Fox Sports, Joel Klatt, is coming in to do his own podcast. I know. You're fanboying all over the place here. I'm not sure we're going to even be able to, to drag you out of here. So, I mean, he might need security <laughs> before we leave. All right. Thank you for uh, reviewing and subscribing and rating and downloading and obviously sending in all of the uh, the questions that you have, whether it's you're using that Ask Alexi hashtag uh, or anything else out there on our State of the Union podcast hotline. Thank you so much for participating in this show. We will talk to you again on another episode later on this week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>